Welcome to the Contra Stoic Podcast. In this series, guests will share their stories to help each of us broaden our perspective. Learning who they were, where they are, and what sparked their change can help us connect, see others for who they are, learn new ideas and ways to grow as we go through this journey we call life. Follow Conscious Stoic on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. For more info, go to ConsciousStoic.com. Enjoy this episode. Today we have a guest. It's one of my best friends. Um, I've known Casey for a long time. We've had many late night, extremely late night conversations <laughs> at coffee shops talking about uh, everything from Alan Watts to people who's dying in their life um, to our experiences growing up, you know, and uh, I'm super excited to have Casey on this episode. This is probably one of my, I think this is going to be one of the best episodes. <laughs> um, the whole point of the Contra Stoic podcast is for us to find connection with people by listening to their stories and ways that they've changed and grown um, so that maybe we can implement a couple things in our lives. Um, Casey, what's your Instagram handle if you want people to reach out to you or your Snapchat or Facebook or whatever? Uh, my Instagram handle is SpacyCasey. Is and that's it. <laughs> All right. If you want to get a hold of Casey, please so. reach her at uh, SpacyCasey on Instagram. And this will also, this episode will be available on at Conscious Stoic on Instagram. Um, we have a Facebook and a Twitter. All of them are Conscious Stoic. Just put us in the search bar and search. Um, and then check out our website, ConsciousStoic.com. So with no further introduction, say hello to the, to the audience, Casey. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so we're going to start off with the question of all questions. The first question we love to ask here is, so who is Casey? In five minutes, explain to the, to the people who you are, um, kind of what's happened in your life, and then who you are now, and uh, a little bit about the adventure that you're going on. Five minutes? Five minutes. All right. Um, I don't know, man. I feel like probably the best way to describe me is I, my entire life, I've very much just been like a, a confused little girl. And I've just been running around. And I mean, growing up, I was hyper. We'll just put it that way. I was a hyper kid. I really didn't have many friends. I was kind of all over the place. Uh, I grew up in Were an interesting... No, absolutely not. No. <laughs> I grew up in a really interesting household. Um, I had my dad left when I was two, uh, and uh, I had a stepdad most of my life. Uh, he was in and out of my life a lot. And then uh, we had, I had my mom, who was really, that was really, it was just me and my mom a lot of the times. I had a half brother and a half sister, and we had different dads, so they go stay with their dads a lot. And, and But I can really understand at the time, you know, like why I didn't get to go see my dad on the weekends and, you know, like things like that. So when I say confused, I think that was really like a good way to put it. Um, I was confused. My sister was on drugs. My mom was an alcoholic at the time, you know, and so was my stepdad. And really a lot of my life was just me kind of looking out for me. And I think that that's the best way to put it is I've always just been looking out for me and I've been just trying to get by and I've been yeah. just, and then in any sense of the word, it's just survival mode, you know, I've been just, and, and not to say that like everything was bad or, you know, I had a horrible life or anything like that because I think my life was dope and I'm happy for the way that I grew up in those experiences at that time. But it, and it definitely has played a lot into who I am today and how I've developed. Um, and as I kind of went through life, you know, I got, it's an age old story. You know, I got hooked on drugs when I was 16 because I couldn't figure out how to make friends, but I thought that drinking and doing drugs was the way to do it. And it definitely worked. And then I got to be a cool kid, you know, and I got to be the cool stoner chick that always had drugs and bleh, you know, and I thought that that was like the peak of my life. Like nothing could ever get better than that. Like everyone had my phone number because they knew I knew where to have fun, you know, and stuff like that. And it just completely went out of control within a year and a half. You felt wanted. And yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, I felt like I finally found a place in li in life. Right? Do you feel like you've been looking for that? You were looking for that as a kid because you didn't know. Well, you you eventually knew your dad at some point. So I've always known my dad. So my dad left when I was two because he couldn't stop shooting drugs, and my mom was like, "Get out!" Right? And uh, and when he left, he like bankrupted my entire family. So like I didn't really see him. I guess, you know, as the story goes, I was two years old and then I, he moved to Missouri and then he's always lived there since I, since I could remember. What and part? when he lives in Pacific, Pacific, Missouri, Pacific, Missouri, it's All literally right. a podunk town in the middle of fucking nowhere. And he worked in downtown St. Louis. 
And, uh, and I used to go out there for like the summers and, you know, winter breaks and stuff. And it would be like, I would get off the plane and I would just be shipped out there for the summer. And I wouldn't talk to anybody or my family really like all summer, you know, I call my mom ever so often. And I was basically just alone out there. And my dad was a Disneyland dad, you know, so I always thought that. Never heard that term before. Really? What does that mean? So a Disneyland dad is kind of like, he's an, so my dad's an absent father, but every time I would see him, it would be like, we would buy gifts and we would go to cool places and we, you know, so he would, he would prove that he was the cool parent and the fun dad and, you know, all of that stuff. So for a really long time, I was under that enchantment that like my dad was the better option, you know, and he was, so I had so much resentment towards my mom for making me stay with her because she didn't buy me new bikes every time she saw me and she didn't, which the reality was, is my dad couldn't even do that. You know, my dad's wasn't able to pay child support, you know, my ticket out there bankrupt him, gotcha. you know? So it was like, I never, none of it made any sense, you know, like my, my growing up, none of it really made any sense as to like how he played a role into my life. And like, then when I would get in trouble in school, right? Like mm -hmm. then it was time to be a dad, you know, he was nowhere to be found, you know, but as soon as something really amazing happened in my life, right? Like I got a really big, I'll never forget this. When I was in high school, I got a really big role, like the role in a, in a play. Gotcha. And I was really excited about it. And I like told him and, and he was, you know, hype and pumped up and all of this stuff. And I will never forget the way that he was talking about it was very much like it was his achievement. Like he did that for him, you know, like it was because he did that because he, because I was born, right? Like, because he played a part in my, me living that all of my achievements were his. And that was the way that it's kind of always been. And, but that's okay. You know, like my dad is a very sad person, you know, like my dad's a, He's a fuck up, you know, for lack of a better What's term. He doing now? My dad bought a bunch of uh, like condos and stuff in uh, downtown St. Louis, literally in the State Street. So if anybody knows where that's at, it's not a it's not a good part of town. Gotcha. And uh, I I had absolutely no business being down there, you know. And really, neither, neither did he, you know. But he owned these condos, and he got fucked out of a lot of money. And obviously, he can't sell them, so he's just kind of like stuck in this endless cycle where he like owns these condos, and no one pays him rent because they're in a horrible part of town, and no one would live there that can, you know, keep a sustainable job. It's just, it's bad. Like my dad basically owns project housing. Gotcha. So, you know, and like my dad's car gets stolen like once a week. You know what I mean? And he gets guns pulled on him like on a regular basis. And like to him, it's just kind of. He's been doing it for so long, you know. That's just his life. That's his life, yeah. But so, so fast forward high school, 16, hooked on drugs. Hooked on drugs. A cool I, kid. I was supposed to uh, go to school for dance. That was going to be like the whole plan. So I was going to go to school for dance. And, She's uh, a very good dancer, by the way. <laughs> uh, I was, uh, I trained for years to like do this one thing. And I was, I was going to get the scholarship and I was going to go to SCC. And it was going to be a whole, and then I was going to transfer to ASU. I had a whole plan set. And uh, I just couldn't do it, and I, because I was on a bunch of drugs, and it, and I remember showing up for the audition, and all I had to really do was just show up and try my best, you know, and like I could have got had it, and I got there and I bombed it almost on purpose because I knew that I was gonna fuck it up. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I knew that like I wanted that, and I wasn't gonna be able to have it the way that I wanted it, so I rejected it altogether and I knew that if I started if I tried to go to school I never would show up wow you know like I couldn't even show up for my placement test you know so it was kind of like when it came to that like college or and because now that college was out you know or it was like all right well I guess I'll just keep getting high you know and keep working at restaurants and just see where I end up and that's a good insight for you yeah and that's a question <laughs> that I think we'll ask later on in the story is I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it, so I fucked it up, so I would have to leave. 100%. I'm a self-sabotager, and I always have been. Mm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. go ahead. Here, you get to the school. No, it's just a, well, it's then, a good insight. Yeah, because. and then I think, I think I graduated school, and I remember after my graduation, I, like, got in my car, and I was alone, and nobody, like, nobody was with me. I just sat down, and I just started sobbing, because I thought I was going to die. Wow. Because I knew that, like, because I knew I could show up for school. That was it. You know what I mean? Like, I knew I could show up for school and I could do things at school because school, just the background, like the school that I went to, I went to an art school and I went there for six years. So I went through middle school through high school. Okay. So it was like, and with everything that was going on in my life at the time, like school was the only place I ever felt safe. It was the only place that it was mine. You know what I mean? Like I could be there and it was just my place and I could have my friends. And, you know what I mean? And like when I would go home, it was, 
It was chaos. Everywhere I went in my life was chaos except for there, you know, and it was the good kind of chaos. It was the best kind of chaos, you know? What do you mean by that? Like, it was just insanity, you know? It was just a bunch of art kids, you know? Literally, it was a bunch of 12 to 18-year-old art kids just running around making art. That's all it was, you know? Just a bunch of lost souls. Literally, yeah, and it was just, and it was cool because we all knew it, you know? We all knew that we were just a bunch of reject kids, so we were just going to make the best of it and make art. Gotcha. You know, so anyway, so I left and and I cried and I, I knew that I was going to fucking die. I knew it. I knew I was going to die. It wasn't like, oh man, like I think I, I think that's coming soon. Like I knew I was going to die. How old were you at this time? I was eight, I was 17. And you were, you were I sure? Was, I was positive. Wow. When I wasn't going to make it past 20. I absolutely was not going to make it past 20. If anything, I was barely going to make it past 18. And if I had a say in it, I was going to die like three days later. Wow. That's where I was at, you know, it's like, um, because I think that it's extremely important, like in my own story to explain that, like when I started using drugs and alcohol, like it was a form of connection, but it really was like, all I wanted was to just not be there. Mm. Like when I got high, it was a death wish. Like I got high to try and die. Like I got as fucked up as possible on an everyday basis because I was just really hoping that tomorrow I wasn't going to wake up. Wow. And I can say that with a hundred percent certainty, like it was about nothing outside of that, you know, towards the end, especially. And like, it's hard to kind of talk because I, so I did a lot of Xanax, you know, which is basically like a blackout drug and I did Xanax and I drank a lot. So it was like for nine and a half months, I did that every single day and I probably was conscious for about a month of it. Hmm. So you it, don't remember most of it? No. Not and you didn't want to? No, it was, I, I reached my goal, you know, I did exactly what I was trying to do. When did that, so when did that feeling of, I don't want to be present for my life, I don't want to be here because something's wrong, probably didn't know what it was, but when did that feeling of, I don't want to be present for my life, when's the first time you can really remember, or the first couple times, or the first part of your life where that became like a thing? So, I probably would say when I was like seven or eight. Wow. And I remember this specific day. And uh, so I had ADHD growing up. And I was on Adderall from the time I was like five until I was 15. Of different variations of Adderall in between that time, but still like. So I grew up thinking that something was wrong with me. Something was always wrong with me, you know. Um, and that was the message that I kept getting my entire life, you know. Was we would go to these doctors and they continued to tell me what was wrong with me and how we were going to fix it with these meds and how we were going to fix it with this talk therapy and we're, you know, and something was always wrong with me. And I remember when I was, I was sitting in my room and I had, my Adderall was wearing off and I knew that that meant I had to start taking my other medicine soon, you know, and at the at time what I, age? I was seven wow. and I was, I think I was on three or four different medications and at you, the time. And you already and had I this knew, conscious I knew, understanding of medication. I knew that I had to take my night night med soon. That's, wow. that's what I knew. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror. It's like a, literally, like I can see it. Like it was yesterday. I remember looking at myself in the mirror and being like, I don't want to be you. Wow. Like I hate you, you know? Because it was like, why does every other kid, you know what I mean? Like get to go have like a dope, you know, like go sit outside and play, you know, but I have to come home and do my homework before my Adderall wears off so that I can take my night-night meds so that way I don't have a personality, you know? And it was, it was very, and I felt that way my whole life of just like, God, I just wish I wasn't you. I just wish I wasn't you, right? And so when that, and of course that just flustered and became bigger and brought, you know, it was a demon of its own. And that was, that was really what I was up against, you know, was that feeling of just worthlessness. And not even worthlessness, just like, this is wrong. You're not supposed to be here. You as a person. Yeah. Like, you don't fit in the world. No. Yeah, 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 no. Well... <laughs> There's no at the time, place. right? At the time, yes, that's well, exactly I mean, how yeah, I felt. We're talking yeah. about that time, and at yeah. that point in your life, you felt like there was no place for Casey. Absolutely not, no. And it and it wasn't even that there wasn't a place for me. It was like I accidentally took somebody else's place. Wow. Like my soul and somebody else's soul were like supposed to go into a body, like we were like fighting for it, and somehow I won on accident. Like that's what happened. Got you. You know what I mean? And uh, and that was and I thought that that was my situation my entire life was it was just I was an accident. Wow. Like I was definitely not supposed to be here. And, uh, and I was just trying to do everyone a favor and get rid of myself. Did you ever try to kill yourself? 100%, yeah, multiple times. What's the earliest age? I don't think I really started thinking about suicide until I was like 16 or 17. That was really when I started doing drugs. Gotcha. The, when I really first started trying, when I first started trying to kill myself, um, it was it was with drugs. And I would do them and I would do it and I would do it, you know. 
you can ask people that were around at that time and they would sit there and beg me like Casey you know like you're literally like asleep you know like stop and I couldn't I could not there was nothing that anyone could say that would change the way you felt nope of course, it's inside job. Right, 100%. And I never knew that, you know? Nobody explained that to me. Like, what I, I always thought that, I don't know, I never understood inside solution. I guess that's probably a good way to put mm-hmm. it. You know, I always, from growing up and knowing that, like, you know, I was five years old and you're a little too hyper, we take a medicine for that. Oh, you're sad, we take a medicine for that. You know, I was on Zoloft when I was nine years old and it literally, like, I used to bang my head up against the wall in school because I couldn't handle my thoughts. And your mom didn't know what to do with you. No, you know, and, and who, who would, you know? Yeah. And she's got her own life stuff at this point. She's moving from place to place, mm-hmm. not in good relationships. She's got a drug addict kid. I mean, and my sister at the time was... Oh, yeah, you didn't talk about your sister. <sighs> yeah, and my sister. My sister and I have a very, very interesting relationship. And... Because she was a lot older than me. So she was six years old, six or seven years older than me. So by the time I was able to even understand what was going on or so really formulate memories, yeah, she was already hooked on drugs. 13 and it's already a yep. wreck. And then was, you come along mm-hmm. with your shit mm-hmm. and mom's like, I got this. I can't deal with this. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And so it was, that's why I said in the beginning, like it was, it was me looking out for me, you know, it was because like I was doing what I knew how to do. You know, and that was just to fix something, like throw some sort of solution at it, you know, like fix it, band-aid solution, let's just get through whatever's going on at this exact second. And I never understood that that's not how you fix problems, mm-hmm. you know? Well, you develop these coping mechanisms at six yeah. and seven that you carry throughout mm-hmm. teenage, high school life. Yeah. I mean, and my therapist and I talk about this often, you know, like I disassociated like 90% of my childhood. Mm. I don't remember a lot of it, you know, and, and not because... If, Again, like, not because it was bad or it was this or it was that. It was just I didn't want to be there, you know? And dealing with, like, my sister, you know, like, every – literally, it was an everyday thing. Everyday thing. And, you know, dealing with drug addicts, I mean, being one myself, like – but it's interesting because, like, when you watch it, you know, like, when you're watching somebody else go through it, you know? And I, it's – I remember looking at her and thinking my entire life, I don't want to be like her. Like, the number one person in this entire world to this day – that I would never want to be like as her. Even though she's not here anymore. One thousand percent. You still talk about her like she exists. Day. I know. In that present tense. Well, I think that well, that's on some other stuff. You know what I mean? And I What's I, that on then? Let's get in there. All right, well, listen. So I've obviously lost a lot of people in my life, you know, mm-hmm. and starting with my sister, and then I lost my grandma, who has played an instrumental role into my life, and, and then also one one of my older brothers, who, as you know, that's a whole other thing. But I think that when it comes to a human soul, like, right, here's, this is science, right? Nothing can matter. can't be created nor destroyed, right? It either it just goes into one thing or the other. So I feel like the same thing is, is true of souls, right? And it's maybe we're transitioning and I don't think souls are ever here or they're ever not here. It's just, we just are around, you know? And when I think about my sister and I think about Lloyd and I think about my grandma, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think about them. Like, I'm never going to see them again or I'm never going to hear from them again or I'm never going to see those signs or that they're just gone forever, because that's just not the truth. Because I know, right? Like I know as like a science junkie that this that they can't be gone, right? Like something of them is still here. And when I really put I hear messages from them all the time, you know? And not messages, like I'm not like my brother's not like warning, you know what I yeah, mean? Like I don't walk in there or you'll get murdered. You know this what isn't I mean? The sixth sense I no, before. dude, not at all. You know, it's just like like today, right? Like I was driving here and I was kind of nervous about doing this podcast and I look up and I just see this a phenomenal sunset. And I don't it's not like I think that they put that there for me or anything of that nature, but it's like, dude, like how can anybody be gone from that? Yeah. That's one thing that's infinite, right? Yeah, 100%. I don't know. If there's no more matter than there has ever been in the universe since its creation, (laughs) then the soul of a person, let's say, like you believe in evolution, right? If if you're a Christian or Buddhist or religious person, there are many different forms of what afterlife looks like, right? Mm -hmm. You have a very, and I say you for anybody that's listening, but there's a very laid out, this is what it looks like once you die. Now, if you have science, right? If we evolved, I'm read this book, Sapiens. <laughs> fucking go read Sapiens. It's good. Fire. It's a good book. It's a great book. 
if we developed from apes or we developed from a single cell organism and then apes and then we got consciousness, consciousness was created from the same matter, our brain. Maybe it's just a bunch of signals in our brain. Maybe it's a monkey that did. That's the thing. They think it's monkeys that were eating like mushrooms. Yeah, it's a whole, that's a whole theory. A bunch of monkeys sitting around eating mushrooms and then consciousness came about, right? Um, but whatever this thing is, right, um, that we, where we can notice ourselves, where we can be conscious, where we can look in the mirror and say, I don't fucking want to be here and I don't like you. Yeah. Um, I don't think that I believe either. I think we don't know what happens to that consciousness. And maybe I can't experience in a conscious state what's going on, but the energy that's in me is also somewhere else in the universe. 100%. And who knows? That shit could be floating around right around us right now. They could be listening to this podcast. Well, right. Maybe so, they got fucking Spotify where they're at. And they fucking subscribe. They're vibing. Right they're, vibing. <laughs> they're just straight vibing. <laughs> in the unknown. <laughs> Chilling. Just knowing things. <laughs> sharing. They yeah. have like iPhones. And they're sharing your episode with their friends. Yeah, that's that's exactly what's going on. Right so now. fast forward, <laughs> you addicted to drugs, you go from the you, you so, found the thing at school on purpose yeah. because you want to run away from life. And then I just go buck wild, right? And I just and then I'm blocked out for basically forever. And then I think this is kind of how the story goes, is uh I talked to my mom about, so by the way, I also voluntarily kicked myself out when I was 17, like right after I graduated high school. Because you mean I, you ran away? Yes. Well, no, yes and no, because I was also like almost of legal age, so it's not like they were going to like make me come back, you know? Gotcha. And also, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. And I slept in my car for like, <laughs> for like four and a half months or like on people's couches and stuff because, because I knew that my parents knew I was on drugs and mm-hmm. they had finally caught on and my mom had told me. If I drug test you again and you pop dirty for anything outside of weed, like you gotta go, you gotcha. know? And uh, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I could not stop doing Xanax. So I had to leave. And I wasn't ready at the time to admit that that's what that was, you know what I mean? But um, I just thought that I was making a supreme decision to be an adult, you know what I mean? And I was an independent person. And what do you always say, an urban camper? An urban camper. <laughs> I was a coffee shop hobo. That's gotcha. the best way to put it. Yeah, I was a coffee shop hobo. I used to sit at coffee shops for hours and just like color because I had nowhere else to go and I loved it <laughs> which is the strangest part about it I absolutely loved it um and then anyway so then I moved into like some trap house on 20th street in Van Buren she was really getting out of hand which is the hood of Phoenix yeah I mean, <laughs> Phoenix. yeah so I lived across the street from the state hospital it was just out yeah, of control like it was out of control yeah and I used to like and I had like a chain link fence around this house, and I thought that that like kept me safe. But the one time we left it unlocked, we our house got robbed. Like it was a li- one time for like an hour, our house got robbed. Like it was out of control. But like in my at the time, like I couldn't, I could not care, couldn't care. I was just proud of myself. I wasn't sleeping in my car at that point. You know what I mean? I was paying my rent and like an ounce of weed. So anyway, I guess I talked to my mom about wanting to like move back into the house or something because I wanted to like sell my car. I don't know, some method shit, you know? So she, I guess she called me the next day and she was like, Hey, like, uh, what time are you moving your stuff back in this weekend? And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't even know. What? Like, why would I come back to the house? You know what I mean? Like I blur- I had no idea, absolutely no idea what we had, this whole plan that we had conspired the day before. Cause you were Zanned out. Cause I was fucked off. Yeah. yeah. And she just took a deep breath and she was like, why don't you call me? Like in a little bit, and, uh, and we'll talk, you know. And I was, she had no idea. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, okay, like whatever, you know what I mean? Like not thinking anything of it. So I call her later, which surprisingly enough, I remembered to call her back and called her later, and I was like, hey, what's up? And I was literally about to go sell a grip of drugs, and I was sitting in my car in the parking lot waiting for the dude, and I had like a bunch of, I had a a line of cocaine and a line of Xanax busted out of my phone that my mom was on speaker on (laughs) while she's my mom. And on the phone, all I hear from my mom is just like, you know what I mean? Like Charlie Brown mom. Like I just can't even hear what she's saying. And I go down to go do this line and she's like on mute. And I hear, I think your drug use is getting out of control. You need to go to treatment. And like my entire world just shifted because like, I knew I was on drugs, you know, and, like, I knew what I was doing. Like, I knew I was trying to kill myself. But, like, when my mom started figuring, like, it's watching my mom already, like, go through this with one kid, you know what I mean? And promising her my entire life that she would never have to do this with me. And that promise that she'll never be your sister. And it, it, it immediately came up, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And wow. then, and my best friend at the time was with me. And I couldn't even respond. I literally had no words. Like, I was just mute at that point. I was in shock. That thing comes up so much that I never want to be like somebody. And then we have, and we have exactly like so that. Crazy. 100%. Every guest, every single guest. We all have a person. Story. Yeah, we all have one person. Yeah. And, uh, and I realized that that's exactly who I was. I was truly. I was acting exactly like her. And I was doing all the things that I said I never would do. And I... Because I'm so dramatic. I like threw myself out of the car and was like rolling around on the ground in the dirt, just like <laughs> sobbing. It was so dramatic. Oh, yeah. So dramatic. And my friend comes and she comes and sits down. And you know, like when you're like smoking a cigarette, but you can't even smoke it because you're like so emotional. So it's just like burning. Mm-hmm. And I was just like chain smoking these cigarettes, except not smoking them at all. Kathy's just sitting there and she's like, so what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm not going, you know? <laughs> and she looked at me and she's like, case. You know, and just kind of looked at me like the jig is up, man. Like, yeah. I looked at her and I was like, fine. <laughs> and we got in the car and we went over there and I, I don't really remember what happened, but somehow I had said yes to somebody and I was on a plane a couple days later and I got on the plane and I passed out and my mom literally walked me to the detox car because she thought I was going to run away. Like, and in my head, I really was going to, like I, she, she knew what she was doing. Like. I thought she was going to drop me off at the airport and I was just going to dip, but that's not what happened. She walked me through security and then I was like, cool, she's going to leave now. You know what I mean? And I'm out. And she didn't. And then she got on the plane with me. We were here and we were flying to California. And uh, yeah, I I went to California for treatment and uh, I went to LA. And so we got into Orange County, Uh I think. And, uh, And she put me in the car and she gave me a pack of smokes and she said, don't fuck it up. Wow. You know, and she said, I love you. I said, all right, whatever, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And the whole time, man, the entire time, like, and this is, and when I was, you know, I used to talk about this a lot in that moment of, like, me getting sober. And when I would tell my story, this was, like, the story. Because every single time, dude, I swear, everything against me was, pro- like, I'm running. I'm leaving. Like, there's no fucking way they're going to get me in this place, you know? And I just kept doing what they told me to do. What were you running from? That's a, I mean, me, you know? You were afraid to go back to being you again? Dude, I was afraid to even figure out who me was at that point. Hmm. Or at all, you know? I had always been what everybody else told me that I was, you know? So, and I could be anybody that you told me to be, you know? Like, that's not an issue at all. You didn't like yourself. Exactly, you know? So, I was afraid almost because I was so used to that, right? Like, that me not knowing me and me running from me, you know, and and at the time I didn't even know that this is what that was, you know, like I just was just trying to get fucked up, you know, like, and because I really couldn't comprehend anything outside of that at the time. Like I couldn't comprehend that I had depression. I couldn't comprehend I had complex PTSD that was undiagnosed and untreated. I couldn't comprehend that I was on drugs, you know, like the only thing that I could do is like the next thing in front of me, which was, okay, it's, 10 30 I have to go to work at 11 okay I guess I get in the car now and then I get in the car and you know I gotta jump it because it doesn't start you know and then so I jump the car and then I'm like okay now we get in the car and all right well I guess I'm kind of sober so I probably should do this line okay I go to work now you know like it was it was like that it was literally like and it wasn't present you know it wasn't me being present it was literally just me trying to pretend I was a person and I just wasn't you know I was not a human being and everyone knew it I, what does I, that even mean, being a human being? <laughs> you don't mean that's such. Let's not even go down that nah. thing because that's mm. a, that'll be the whole episode. Yeah, so we're gonna have to like cut out all the beginning right. stuff. <laughs> that doesn't mean, I mean, I mean, what does it mean to be human, dude? I mean, I think all it means is that we have this thing where we're able to notice ourselves. You know, we're human. And I didn't like it. I didn't like that I was human, dude. Like, I wish I could have been anything you else. Still don't want to be sometimes because i know you personally for sure dude Fuck, I don't for sure dude i everyone feels that way you know <clears throat> so that's and i thought nobody felt that way that's mm. the other part you know as i thought that anybody that felt the way that i felt was wrong so i shouldn't talk about it i shouldn't tell people that i feel that way i shouldn't tell people that i want to die you know because everybody wants to live so why am i feeling this way you know and i thought that it was wrong of me to feel the way that i felt so i never thought it was okay to fix it Mm. Does that make sense? I was mm-hmm. too afraid to even admit that something was wrong with me, even though I knew. You know, yeah. it was just—it was all—it was too much. You know, it was all too much. So anyway, then I get sober, and uh, and I didn't want to, but I did it, and I think I stayed sober for six months, 
And I had a blast, you know, I had a blast for that six months. I was in treatment, I went to sober living, I met some people, made a lot of enemies because I was just a stupid 18-year-old girl that just got sober, you know, and I did a bunch of dumb stuff and I did a bunch of cool stuff and I had a job, you know, that I was going to every day and I was like really proud of myself. And then I moved out of sober living and I got high immediately because I wasn't doing anything that anybody told me to do program-wise, like to stay sober, I guess. And I'm glad that I had that experience, you know, because then I got to stay sober for three and a half years. And, uh... I got sober again, and 45 days later, truly died. Wow. And uh, and in between this time, I think since truly was probably 16, 17, like, I had written her off. Like, I no longer wanted to be a part of her life. Anytime I talked to truly, we fought. Anytime we saw each other, it was an argument. Anytime, you know, like, anytime. Even when she would be somewhere on like a Christmas day, you know what I mean? And you got to pass the phone around for the family member that's not there. And she was always in rehab or some shit. And I would, you know, and she would, the phone would get passed to me and she'd be like, Casey, hi, I love you. I miss you so much. Cause that's the other thing is she really wanted to be a part of my life. And I was absolutely not okay with it. And I would just sit there in silence and I would listen to her talk and they'd be like, yeah, Merry Christmas and pass the phone. You know, I could not, because it was like, the pain that she had caused me and my entire family was too much for, in my mind, it was almost unforgivable, you know? Even though you had just caused them the same Exactly, thing. yeah. And, but, but again, you have to remember, at this point, I thought we were different. I thought we were different drug addicts because truly was the junkie under the bridge. I had a house, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, like I had a car, you know? It didn't start, but I had one, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, like I had things, you know? So like in my mind, I wasn't, a, I wasn't shooting heroin, so I wasn't a drug addict, you know? So then I was getting sober and of course then I started like learning that that's not the case and that's not what that's about and you can be a drug addict in any sense or whatever, you know, and I bought in and I, I really liked it and I remember, I think it was like, I was two, two or three months sober and you know, if anybody's ever been to an AA meeting, they read a preamble in the beginning and, and it says, um, some do not recover, those who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves, mm-hmm. right? There are such unfortunates. And I remember hearing it and being like, that's my sister. Mm. That's my sister. You know, she's constitutionally incapable of being honest with herself. She was how old when she died? She was 26. Wow. She died of an overdose. She was 30 days sober. She was in a treatment center in the valley. And uh, she AMA'd in the middle of the night. No deed an hour later. The valley here. Okay. She was in Arizona. She's in Arizona, yeah. And uh, she's in Scottsdale. And uh, she left, went to a motel six, some dude, and OD'd and died hours later. And, uh, and that, that shook my world for a lot of reasons, you know, it shook my world because I just lost my sister, but also she was kind of a stranger to me. So it was like, did I really care? But also I did because, you know, she was my family. And then it was like, okay, well, where's my mom? You know, is my mom okay? And all I cared about was my mom. The only thing I cared about was my mom. I couldn't give two fucks if Julie was dead, honestly. I just want to make sure she was all right. Because the reality is, is like when you deal with drug addicts like that, and even with my brother, you know, who's at this ex- this exact time, like shooting heroin, you know. Actually, maybe he was sober then. I don't know, whatever. You know what I mean? Like in and out of treatment centers himself, you know. It's just you learn to build a certain amount of tolerance towards things where it's like, if you were to die, I have been preparing for this for a long time. It doesn't make it any easier, but you knew it was coming. 100%. Right, you Especially know. Especially for you, you never really knew her. Exactly. You never had a all I knew was that she was on drugs and she was probably gonna die really soon. Like that's all I knew about her, you know. And that every time she came around, all of my shit went missing, and mom was upset. That was all. That was all I knew about her, you know. Um, and I didn't. And I didn't know anything about like what had brought her to that place, you know. I didn't know her story. I didn't know who she was, you know. So. Over time, I've learned to gain some empathy towards her and, you know, some appreciation and compassion. But, you know, she was, she was still my sister. I still loved her, even though I didn't want to, mm-hmm. you know? That's um, a tough place to be. It is, yeah. To care about somebody but not want to care about them. Yeah, and and making a decision not to, mm-hmm. you know? It's, or trying to. Yeah, you trying know? Trying to pretend like you made a decision that you don't care when you really do. Exactly, yeah. The inability to admit to yourself that you really do love them. Yeah, but dude, the mind's a tricky thing, right? You can convince yourself of anything. Pretty so much. for a really long time, I convinced myself that I could not care less, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, so she passed, and 
I think I was, I, I was like 45 days sober and I had to like go home and like be, and the last place I had gotten high when I had relapsed was back in Phoenix and I was living in California at the time. So I was like terrified, you know, so, but I was going to like go home and go have to deal with all this really hard stuff and then like get loaded and show up to the funeral. Fuck, you know, like I was afraid I was going to ruin everything basically. And I didn't, you know, and I got there and I just started showing up and I just started doing what people asked me to do. You know what I mean? I started I praying. That I just started showing up. No, yeah, that funerals. That you <laughs> putting, like that's the beginning of Casey funeral. <laughs> this is it, man. This that's is when so I figured weird. it out. Yeah. Like that was like that's been your thing mm-hmm. recently. It really like, has. You're the funeral put it together. I know. You just put it all together. You put the fucking mask on. Mm-hmm. You just. I just keep it together, man. You're just like we're gonna get through this. Well, and I feel like because somebody has to, you know, and and not even that somebody has to. It's just because like I knew that I was in a position to be there for them now, right? Like I wasn't fucked up on drugs. Like I had a god in my life. And not even that it was, like, a big thing or a small thing, but, like, I had something to rely upon outside of using drugs and alcohol. Let's just put it that way. You, you know? You I had something else, you. yeah. I had step work to do. You know what I mean? Like, I had things to keep my hands busy, you know? And, and my best friend... Are you here yet? Huh? Are you in Phoenix yet? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, during this entire time, you know, and I'm I'm helping mom with the flowers, and I'm getting... You know what I mean? And I'm setting up funeral arrangements, and I'm writing things, and, and all of a sudden they were like, you need to write something for the service. And I was like, okay... So that was my first time I ever wrote a eulogy, you know, and I wrote a eulogy there. And and uh, I think that... How old are you? I'm 22. 22. So at the time, I was 19. No, how old were you at the time as well? I was 19. Okay. Was I? Yeah, I was 19. Yeah, Writing I was, eulogies at 19, I was 19 years old. For my sister who <laughs> overdosed, yeah. She was 26. And she was 26. Oh. And it was it was sad, man, you know? And it's, it will never not be sad. It was, but, dude, the... Fl- that funeral was amazing, you know, and it was beautiful because so many people showed up. That, in the entire, do you remember Mac's funeral? Max. Mac. 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 Mac's yes, funeral. I do. So it was held at the same exact place. And you remember okay. how it was literally like that we had to stand mm-hmm. basically by the entryway to even just hear what was going on. And that's what truly service was like. Wow. And there was, it was, and I couldn't, I, I remember turning around because I was sitting in the front and I was just, my jaw dropped. She had a life that she didn't know about. And it was that, but it was more that like I because it wasn't that anyone was there for her. Everyone was there for us. Wow. You know, everyone was there for Nick and for me and for mom and for Mike and for, you know, all the people that she and her family, you know, and everybody showed up for us to be there for us, you know. And I think that was the first time that I really learned about love. Wow. Because I learned that people, uh, let me pick my words here carefully. I learned that everyone wants to care, but not everybody's capable of it. And I learned that when people truly do love you, that it doesn't matter how ugly you are. Wow. And I that was the first time I'd ever learned those two. And those are two of my biggest truths today, you know? And uh, it was, that whole service, man, was just, it was crazy, you know? And if if... If you've ever lost somebody, you know that it's just, it's kind of like when you, it, you just have to put one foot in front of the other and just keep doing things because it's like, if you don't, you don't know what emotions are going to pop up. You don't know how you're going to feel, you know, and you don't, when people ask you if you're okay, you don't really know how to respond because maybe at that exact moment you feel like, okay, like you don't feel like you're going to sob or kill yourself, you know what I mean? Or, or cry or, or throw things or any of that, but, but you feel bad because you don't think you're supposed to be okay, you know, and it's, it's just such a, it's a confusing and it's a horrible time. And it, I went through it with the most amazing people, you know, and I got to go through that with my family and I got to be there for my family and people got to be there for me, you know, and nobody had ever been there for me at this point, you know, like I didn't let anyone be there for me. That wasn't an option, you know, mm-hmm. I had me, you know, like nobody else was allowed to have me. It was me. So this was definitely like my first lesson in being like, oh, like I do need other people, you know, like I do, I can't go through life by myself. But it also scared the fuck out of me, you know, because it was like I cared about somebody and now they're gone. Mm-hmm. So anyway, then I just kind of, after that, you know, I just kind of kept trying to be sober and I just kind of kept trying to do the next thing. And I think I got to about eight months sober and I, uh, I just wasn't okay anymore. And it was, uh, it was kind of like the, the facade was over, like the mask fell off and I 
looked back at myself and I was that seven-year-old girl again, man, and I looked at myself and I said, I don't want to be you anymore, dude. Look at all this work, right? Look at all this work that we've been doing and putting into this and all these books that I've read and all this writing I've done, right? And all these people I've talked to and loved and cared for. Why the fuck do I not feel better? Mm. You know? And I was angry. I was frustrated, man, because I had tried, you know? I, I tried. And I kept thinking, like, if I just pray harder and I just meditate better and I just get more service commitments, you know what I mean? And I just do better at AA, like, eventually I'll start feeling better. And for a little bit, it did work, right? Like, it did. Until it didn't anymore because that wasn't my solution, you know? Like, my solution was I had a lot of things that happened when I was a child that I never talked about and I never processed. And I was acting out because I didn't know how to handle that. You know, I didn't know how to handle things that we don't talk about. You know, I didn't know how to handle molestations. I didn't know how to, you know, as a child, I didn't know how to handle moving over and over again and changing schools and being bullied and, you know, so. Apparently a lot of people in your family couldn't. Exactly. If you look at the, the, the list. list. Yeah. We, uh, my family is a lot of weak-minded people. <laughs> well, I, don't know I wouldn't say weak-minded. I wouldn't say, I think that we, all of us are so individual and we're so unique and we're so passionate mm -hmm. that it gets in the way sometimes it can you know so fast forward casey sober and then and not. uh and then no i was i was so i was eight months sober and i could not understand why i wanted to die so bad right mm -hmm. so so i start talking to people about it and they're like oh like maybe you should go see a psychiatrist and i was like okay so i went to a psychiatrist i started talking to them and they wanted to put me on more meds and at this time, I wasn't on any medication, so I was like, no, no, this, you know. this last bout of sobriety? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And uh, and I I didn't want to be on meds, so then I, so I ran away from the psychiatrist, and I didn't do anything about it, and I continued to let my mental health get out of control. I was sleeping with people that I, sh you know, I was thoughting around, and I was, I was basically just acting out. Like, anything that I could possibly do was a cry for attention. And attention in the way that was like, somebody please just tell me what to do, because I don't know. But don't you know? tell me what to do because exactly. I'm myself. Exactly. So it was like, leave me the fuck alone. So I reached for everything. You know what I mean? I reached for my eating disorder. I reached for cutting myself. I reached for boys and I reached for women. You know what I mean? I reached for anything outside of myself, spending money. You know what I mean? Like making money, like anything I possibly could that would make me feel better. And I just continued to feel worse until the point where I was 10 and a half months sober and I tried to commit suicide again. You know, and, and this time I tried to just slice my legs up and I actually I don't remember it. I remember the whole thing going down. And then, like, two weeks later, I tried to do it again, you know? So, like, then finally my roommates were like, okay, listen, like, we're done, you know? Like, you need to figure it out. We need to get you some help. So I got on medication finally, you know, like, everybody convinced me enough that I should do it. And I got on meds, and I didn't like them, but I did it. And finally I just started doing things that people, you know, like, towards mental health because I something was missing. You know, like there was a piece that I was avoiding and I knew that I was avoiding it and I just needed to start figuring it out because I was going to fucking die, you know, and like, and that's what I wanted. But now it was like, I had people that relied upon me, you know, I had people that cared about me, like my mom and my parents and, you know, and my sponsees and my friends, you know, it wasn't just me anymore. It wasn't just about me anymore, you know? So I moved. <laughs> Phoenix, yep. Arizona. So I, I came home for my 20th birthday, and uh, I went to dinner with my family. And, uh, and I looked around, and I just said, I'm coming back. You know, like, I'm happy here. Like, I'm happy with my parents and my grandparents and my brother. You know what I mean? Like, I'm happy here. And if this is what I got, you know, and this is the one thing that I feel comfortable around, then fuck it, you know? And uh, I was, I packed up my car and I was gone a week later. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then you got here. And then I was here. And uh, and then it, things just got incredible. And then um, they didn't. But they did, you they know. Did. They did and they didn't. Things got absolutely amazing, you know, because I started trying again, you know. And I, I got here and I just finally was like, you know what, <laughs> like... No one's going to fix this for me. I'm done. Like, I'm done running for myself. And that was really just that moment where I, I, look, I finally just, like, looked at me and looked at my life and my situation. I was like, the only person that's doing this to me is me. Mm -hmm. Like, if I want to stop being fucking depressed, then I should stop being depressed. And if I want to stop being anxious, then I'll just stop being anxious. And if I want to change my life, then I'm going to fucking change my life, right? So it's like, okay, like, I'm in a shitty situation. I was living in 
a three bedroom apartment with like six to 12 people at all times. You know what I mean? Like it was disgusting. There's cockroaches. People were like smoking inside. I was like, okay, well I don't like living here. So first thing on the list, let's move. You know what I mean? And then it was like, okay, I moved. Now what? I don't like my job. Okay. I'm going to go get a different job. So then I got a different job and I was like, okay, I don't like this job. So I'm going to get a new one. And then I started working at Providence and it was like, okay, I don't like being sad, so I'm going to start seeing a therapist. And then I started seeing a therapist. And then things from that point just got better and better and better and better. And then my grandma got cancer. Mm. And uh, I remember the day that my grandma got cancer, and I remember the day we found out about it. She went to the hospital because her gallbladder, like something, it exploded or something. So it was like an emergency. Like she had to go to the hospital. And while they were in there, like doing the surgery, they found the cancer. And uh, I sat at the hospital with my grandma for three days. And uh, in bet- when I wasn't at the hospital, I was at work. And then I would drive right back to the hospital and I would sit. And she was like in a crazy, you know, opiate psychosis and was like running all over the hospital. And, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking, you know, and I, I didn't know how to handle that. And she meant a lot to you. She, my grandma is one of the most amazing women I've ever met in my life. She is, she's an example, you know, like because she's kind. That's it. And she is kind no matter what. You know, my grandma really taught me a lot about people in the sense where it was like, you just really never know what people are going through, you know? Yeah. And I think that was a really valuable lesson that she gave me. But she also, like, raised me a lot of my life. Like, and uh, so when she got cancer, it was like a bit, a huge part of me just died. And, uh, and I knew that it was going to happen fast. And not that she was going to die fast, but that she was not going to be able to keep up anymore and I think it was within seven eight months or something of that matter um she had passed and she got dementia really bad and she had no idea what was going on for a long time and you know and and it was so cute because every time you go see her at hospice she would just be so excited to see you and then immediately ask you why she was there you know what I mean like she had no idea but she was so happy to see you no matter what And, and it was sad and then so she got diagnosed, and then like two months, two or three months later, my brother got was in ICU, and uh, and we thought he was going to die. My brother was born with uh, cirrhosis of the liver. It's a, it's extremely rare, and he wasn't supposed to make it past the age of five. Wow. So when he made it past the age of five, then they were like, you're not going to make it past 13. And then when he got to 13, they were like, okay, we can do a liver transplant, but if you know anything about transplants, you have to be sober for a year, and my brother was already on drugs. Wow. So he never obviously got the liver transplant and, uh, and his liver was failing. By the time they got to it, he was in stages. He went to ICU because he was throwing up blood and, uh, and they had to pop these things called varices in his throat that were like, it was just, it was a whole ordeal. And, And then I had to watch my brother deteriorate as a human being for the next year. And I think out of everything I've ever experienced in my life, that was definitely the hardest thing I've ever, ever, ever had to go through was watching the two people that I could love more than anything else in this entire world die in front of me. And there was nothing that I could do to change it, you know? Because at least when Lloyd was on drugs, I could, like, kidnap him and take him to detox, you know what I mean? Or, like, book him across the border to California and be like, figure it out, don't do heroin, you know? But I I couldn't do that anymore. We were administering heroin to him. You know, because he was in so much pain. Not literally heroin. But yes, yeah, basically. Pretty you much know. heroin. He, I mean, he was on a lot more shit than heroin, you know. Yeah. He was way more fucked up than if he was just a shoe dope, that's for sure. And uh, it was sad. But I learned a lot about myself at, in that time. I learned a lot about the world. I learned a lot about how, the capacity of love Do you that feel I have. Whole? Now? Yeah, now. That they're gone? In this moment. Right now, yeah. You feel all? Yeah, I do. I feel whole in a lot of different ways, though. I don't think that, like, losing them was definitely, like, losing parts of myself, but I gained a huge part of myself at the same time, you know? So it was, like, it wasn't like I really ever became unwhole. I just, like, changed certain pieces of the pie, you know, a little bit. And it didn't, it wasn't like that at first. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you know, it was hell. It was absolute hell, you know? And Do you think you found uh, compassion for life? 
Do you think you no. found an understanding of living <laughs> through this? No, not no, at all. Not at all? Um, uh, no, that's not true. Yes, I definitely have. But at the time, I, I didn't. And I remember... Yeah, in this moment, because so, you said for a long time that like you wanted to die. And watching so, people yes. die can yes. change yes. that whole perspective on what death is. And so, do I really want that for myself? So what I didn't realize is that it doesn't matter what type of a person you are, you still affect people. 100%. Right? Bad or good. Bad or good. Dude, my brother was an asshole. Like, <laughs> and like, I can say that, you know what I mean? Like, he was a dick. He was not a good person, you know? I mean, he was. He was a good person, but he did shitty things, you know? Uh -huh. And if people are defined by their actions, like, my brother was the worst of the worst, you know? Uh -huh. But that doesn't mean that I couldn't love him just the same way, and I didn't think that he had a chance, you know? The way you watch people love your sister, even though she was doing shit. 100%. You loved your brother, even though he was doing shit. And I think that after that, after Truly had passed, I made such an effort with Lloyd because I knew that that was coming. And I, and I did everything and everything in my power to help that kid stay sober. And it never, but that's not, you know, that's not a thing. I could never make him get sober, you know, but anything he needed, I was always there. And I always wanted, you know, because I just, it wasn't even that I wanted him to stay sober. Like if he could successfully shoot dope and like have a job, like, hell yeah, bro, do it. You know, like, I don't care. I just wanted him to be happy. And, uh, and I, what I had realized is that I have affected people. 100%. At that, at that point, and at this point in my life, like, if I was gone, people would notice. Mm -hmm. Well, you're about and, to be gone. <laughs> and people are already uh, noticing. Yeah, but I'm not, like, gone, gone, you know, but if I was, maybe, maybe should. Shit, you're just gone, gone. I mean, I you're going to get across the fucking ocean. Yeah. And that leads into to that phase, <laughs> like, that leads into that phase that your life is on. Because I've made, there's some, I mean, there, I mean, there's some insights. You're going to probably listen to this and hear some of this stuff. Right? It's just the fucked up car piece. Your car's fucked up. <laughs> Again. It's so weird. I'm like hearing like he's like. Yeah, I'm living. Like, I'm sleeping on a couch. I'm sleeping on a fucking I'm sleeping couch. on a couch. My car is broke down. I serve tables once again. It's yep. like this. It's like these. Oh, these, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. These marker points for. This is exactly where I was at when I was leaving California, too. To change. Mm-hmm. Weird. There's a lot of breakdown that has to happen for me to change. 100%. And I have known this about myself for a very long time. Like a lot of shit, not has to go wrong, but a lot of shit has to happen for me to change. Uh, I feel like it's not that a lot of shit has to happen, but like when I change, it's very dramatic. It's very bold. It's everything at once. It's never a subtle thing. It's the <laughs> shedding of the old you. 100%. I have to leave every piece of whoever I was behind. At least the ones I don't like. Yeah. Right. At least the ones I don't like. We're getting rid of them. Right. Yeah. The things that I don't like about myself need to go. Yes. 100%. And, and that's the number one thing I learned when I was sober. You know? is like... Or when I was getting sober, you know, it was like, it's an inside job, right? As we've already talked about. And then I was like, okay, well, and if I want things to change, I'm going to continue to change them. And if I, if I want to keep the good stuff, I can keep it. You know, like... But if I want to get rid of bad stuff, man, it's totally possible. I don't have to keep it anymore. You know, I don't have to keep lying to people and not like it anymore. Like I don't have to keep manipulating people. I can just be honest, you know, You're not a victim anymore. Exactly. You know, and I can be a lot of people want to be victims. <laughs> Victimness is great. Well, being a victim is comfortable. What are you talking about? Dude, poor me. I love that mentality. I love being a victim. I feel like a this lot of is people, the truth, right? I feel like most, I feel like a lot of people, I felt, thought I was a victim forever. How good does it feel to feel bad for yourself? 100%. It's because shitty. nobody else, because nobody else is doing it. Fuck, no one else right? is feeling bad for you. You might as well, right? So like when it comes to being a victim, man, because like, this was a big thing that Charm and I really went through was because I never knew I was a victim. I always thought I was like, yeah, I've been through some shit, but you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get through it. You know what I mean? Like you I always thought I was that person. Yeah, except I was completely acting out, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I thought that I was independent in this and that. And Charmin looked at me and she, more or less words, was like, you're a fucking joke, you know? Mm -hmm. You're blaming everybody else for all these problems and thinking that you demand respect, right? That was a big thing for me. Respect. Respect. These people are disrespecting me. Different. These well, it was the reality was is I was stepping on the toes of my fellows and they were retaliating, but I couldn't see it, you know? And that's a victim. I that was me, dude. That's my embodiment. Was that I'm gonna fuck you over and then you're gonna do it in return. And then and I'm, I'm gonna feel bad because you didn't give me what I wanted. hundred mm percent. -hmm. That was my whole life, dude. And I was sick of it. I was so sick of it. So you excited? For what? This next phase. I absolutely am. 
I'm so incredibly excited. So scared. Yeah, yeah. I sob out of fear about it Let regularly. Them Let them know. Okay, so so the end of my whole life story, right, is basically I had a midlife crisis <laughs> at twenty two. At twenty two, okay. and I decided that I went to Europe, and this was after Lloyd and Grandma. It was a couple months after, and I went to Europe with my one of my other older brothers, who's like my best friend, and a, a couple of our friends. It was a great time. I had a blast, and when I was there. I talked about this in therapy the other day and I started crying about it. So I hope I don't right now, but when I was there, I remember feeling for the first time in my entire life, like myself, mm. I didn't even know who that was, you know, but I felt like her and I felt like I was just free and I was open and I wasn't defined by anything. Right. It wasn't, I wasn't Casey from Arizona with three years. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't, Nobody knew me and I didn't know anyone, you know, and it wasn't that I could be anybody that I wanted to be. It was I could just be me, you know, and, and I had come accustomed to a lifestyle of putting on shows for people for a really long time. That was my whole life was just a big show, but really, right. Like even when I was going through the stuff with Lloyd and my grandma and, you know, or any of the things that I've gone through in my life, like it's always been, I'm an embodiment of strength and I don't show people, you know what I mean? Like, because I was able to handle situations and I was able to do those things. And like I said, I was anything anybody told me that I was. And someone told me I was strong, so I could be strong. Someone told me I was this, I could be that, you know? And someone told me that I had, I could impact people. So I did that, you know what I mean? Like I did what other people told me to do. And when I went to Europe, nobody was telling me what to do. I was just doing what I wanted and I loved it. And I was so happy. Like it was the first time that I really, looked around and I was like, this is it, man. This is what they talk about. Not like. You just did a commercial for Europe. <laughs> Thousands of people commercial are, buying, for Europe. <laughs> are buying tickets right now. <laughs> well, sure. I just, all I mean is that, and this is the other part too, right? It's because a lot of people go to Europe and they don't have experiences like that. <laughs> and this is what I realized is that it's like, oh yeah, like I'm an individual. Yeah, of course. Right? Right. That's a, we're not even involved. No, no, no. We can do a whole no, no, no. episode on individual. <laughs> but I That's just mean like, I just mean like, like I just, I don't have to be defined by anything. Of course not. I don't know. I just felt no, for once that. like I was, I felt like I could really just be or do anything, right? So then I got back. I got back from Europe and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? You know? And uh, I, before I'd gone, I, I sat down and I did some heavy meditation. And I really, because I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do with my life, right? I was 22, okay, I'd been working, I was networking a 9-to-5 job, and I was doing good things at that job, and I could have a career in there if I wanted to, right? Like, I could keep working in that industry. Um, I could do something different. I could go to school. You know what I mean? Like, I was just, I had a lot of options. I had some things in my life, but I wanted to take a new step, and I knew I was ready for one. And then I, uh, I got a call. Um from my friend who lives in Hawaii. And uh, she was asking me about Europe and I said, it was fucking awesome. I had a great time. And she said, cool, when are you moving? Wow. I said, six months. Good shit. Yeah. And I mean, like, obviously there was like a lot more conversation than that. Like, I wish it was that simple, but obviously I was like, are you serious? Like, can I really come there? And, uh, and she was like, yeah, I just bought this bus and I'm converting it into a tiny home. She's been sending me pictures the whole time. It's so cool. And it's like all solar. And she's like, yeah, I park it on the farm and I cut crops on the farm for rent so that I can keep it here. And she was like, I do that like one or two days a week. She fucking trims weed on a farm. You know what I mean? And she works at a bee farmer and she sells slushies at farmer's markets. And she just kind of like does whatever she wants, really. She was like, cool, if you really liked it out there so much and you like that feeling, then you're going to love it here, right? And I was like, cool, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll book a ticket. I'll come visit. And she was like, no. <laughs> she was like, just come. And uh, and I, I bought a ticket about a week and a half later. Sold all your possessions. <laughs> Not yet. Just about. We're, we're right about there. I still got a couple of them left. But yeah. And, uh, and, and I ended up quitting my job and I got a different one because I wanted to be able to stack cash quicker. And, uh, and the job that I was working at the time was no longer appropriate for me. And that's a whole other thing, but that was just no longer appropriate for me. And then and uh, I moved out of the house that I was living in and I moved in with my friend and I'm not paying rent anymore and I'm just, I crash on our couch, you know, and uh, I've just been waiting around, man, for this this next part of my life and I've just try, been trying to prepare, been doing a lot of writing, a lot of reading um, and just trying to 
tap into like what is waiting for me out there or what I'm going to find. And who knows, you know, I might get out there and realize that I like my life in Phoenix, you know, or I might get out there and realize that I have so much more purpose to do, you know, or I, who knows? No one knows. No one knows. But the path to getting to Hawaii has been the most interesting thing because since the decision has been made, it's almost been like everything in my life is just like part of the seas for this thing to happen, you know? And it was like, how am I going to make money? Boom. It's like situation figured out, right? Like, where am I going to live? Boom. Situation figured out. It's just like anything I throw at this. What am I going to do with my dog, right? Boom. Situation figured out, right? Like everything I throw at this. It just can't, like the idea just can't die. It sounds like you feel like you're free to be yourself for the first time in your life. Now, correct, yeah, yeah. absolutely, 100%. And it's it's crazy, it's a really weird feeling, it's a scary feeling, you know, because for a really long time I thought I wasn't allowed to trust myself. I thought that all of my thoughts were wrong, everything that I did was wrong, so I needed direction and I needed people to tell me. It's only true for a certain period of time. Exactly, and, and it still is true, right? Like when I need direction in life, I still call other people and I still, you know, and I'm not afraid to ask for help and I learned a lot of lessons. You're getting rid of your black and white thinking. Exactly, and what the reality is is that I learned that my, like I'm not that untrustworthy, you know, and like I can think for myself and like I can make decisions for myself and, and I can make these decisions and then fuck them up and then make new decisions to change them, you know, and it's like, just because I decided to leave AA and move to Hawaii and do all this other really cool stuff, you know, like, I'm not going to change unless I let myself, you know? And it's like, I could go to Hawaii and be the same fucking person. I could be here, and be, you know, like, or I could stay here and change just as much, you know? You're it doesn't not, matter where I'm at. That's some good insight. It and doesn't matter where I'm at, dude. You're not trying to force yourself to be someone. Again. No. You're no. not. You're not. I'm <laughs> exactly. This, this is engineer. I'm going to be engineer. This is farmer market girl. I'm going to be farmer no. market girl. This is three years sober speaking from the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be this and stay it. You're just letting yourself be yeah, whatever 100%. you are. And that's for a lot and of dude, Go ahead. And I just get to meet myself where I'm at. Right. That's it. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people listening, maybe, right? Maybe. Right? Some of us have already found that. Some of us haven't. Um, in my And in my experience, some people can do that and be okay. And they have to have that. Without that, they would break down. And then they would go through that transformation that a lot of people go through. Um, and I also think for some people that they just naturally are able to be themselves. Yeah. You know, I think there are a lot of people in this world who, who are the embodiment of themselves naturally. And maybe they were raised right. Maybe they had the perfect set of circumstances that just allowed them to realize like, hey, man, like, it doesn't matter what people want from me. What really matters is, is that I feel okay doing what I need to. And sometimes yeah. okay is not even the thing, you know? I think that, yeah, and I think that it was also just kind of like, I just came to a place where it was like, I'm kind of cool with me. Like, I you really like, no, dude, like, I just, and that's, and wow, you know what I mean? Just to say that, you know, and just to know that I believe that and I know that about myself, it's like, dude, like, the last person I'm going to kill now is me, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so you love yourself. Yeah, dude. And okay, so me and Whitney, who's one of my best friends, we were talking about this before that because we were talking about the idea of self-love and the reality of it is, man, is like self-love is never going to be something that I'm just going to have, right? Like, and, and what I mean by that is like, it's not just one thing, you know, it's a constant battle. It's an everyday thing. And like self-love and self-care for me, right? It's like getting up in the morning and brushing my teeth because I want to and taking a shower and taking care of myself and going to a job because I want to and doing it because I know that I can, right? Like, and loving myself through the whole process, you know, loving and being like the broken parts of you. Right. And being like, okay, so I put on an outfit and I don't like it. Like not, you know what I mean? Like having a melt, you know, and just being like, all right, like, cool. Like, do we like it? We don't like it. All right. We're going to change. We yeah, dude. I talk, me and me, have a whole ass Someone relationship <laughs> so, <laughs> it's me and me man and it's just because that's i think probably the best way that i've ever been able to deal with my mental health you know <laughs> really it's just look to kind at of yourself and, like you look at someone else 100 yeah it's like because then because dude if i i have so much love and compassion for other people why can't i have love and compassion for myself and if the only way that i'm able to do that is to kind of like talk about me or to me like it's someone else then i can do that dude because i can love that person does that make sense? No, and it makes sense. It's just, it's... And it's not that it's, I'm somebody else. It's just the way that I'm able to talk about it. Knowing you <laughs> and hearing you say things um, and hearing you say that your love for other people and not hearing you say one time in this entire episode that you don't love people, 
which you tend to say sometimes. <laughs> and I have never thought that that was true. Um, I feel like it's a... I'm, it's not that I don't like people. I'm afraid of people. And I think that that's, a, that's very different. <laughs> I think, I think the, and I don't think I know, the listeners got to see you for you. 100% and uh, I actually got uh, the opportunity to meet the Casey that I know and that I love so you much. Think? 100% dude like you were you have kind of been really open about like who you are and what's really going on and I think you're going to be and you're going to listen back which is one of the coolest parts about doing podcasts and you're going to do a lot of them because you're great at it. Um, <laughs> the coolest part about doing podcasts is uh, the ability to go back and listen to it and hear yourself saying shit. And you're going to be like, what the fuck? Because you got deep. You talked about a bunch of shit. But the last question before we leave, once again, all the Country Stoic podcasts will be available on Google Play, Spotify, Apple Music, the podcast app on Apple phone, and any other place you get your podcast. Um, also check out the episodes on Conscious Stoic, Conscious spelled out, Stoic spelled out, dot com. Um, and also email info at Conscious Stoic if you would like to be a guest, submit a blog, or maybe get some information, um, or maybe contact Casey for send her some questions. We'll get them. We'll get her to uh, write you back some answers. Um, and if you go on our, our website, we have a link to our Instagram, our Facebook, as well as our Twitter account. So shoot us a message, follow us on any one of those platforms. Um, the final question of the episode is. 22-year-old Casey <laughs> takes a time machine, gets in that time machine, and goes to visit 8-year-old Casey. <laughs> and you have 22 seconds to tell her something. What do you tell her? She's not a lover. Mm. She's going to be okay. That's it, man. <laughs> That's all she needs to know. And uh, what do you have for the for anybody out there struggling that's listening? Some quick, a couple quick words for them. Uh, I mean, I'll uh, I'll take one out of my therapist book, and I'll say, I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but everything's gonna be okay. Good shit. Thank you guys for listening to the Contra Stoic Podcast. Have a great day.